Thanks to Audible for supporting Industry Focus. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, January 5th, and we're starting out 2018 by talking AI. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by the one and only Eric Bleeker. Good to be here, starting out with a bang. Starting out with a bang. This is the first time I've ever had you on the show. And yeah, I'm sure exciting. I'm sure people that really follow the Fool know you or people mm-hmm. that you know have been following Fool.com for quite some time. You know, you were heavily involved there. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about what you do at the Fool because some people might not know you from the podcast. Yeah, recently I've been working on kind of aggregating some of our subject matter experts around some of the biggest themes that we cover. One of those is artificial intelligence, recently blockchain, and we've got some more stuff coming up. And it's it's kind of finding a way to build out our resources and create solutions based upon areas that our investors are asking us, hey, I, I want more information about this. So that's the, kind of the problem I've been working on for the past year, two years. It's It's been fun. Yeah. And so you've been heavily involved in the Market Pass premium reports in particular that we've been putting out, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them was on AI. So yeah. naturally, when I wanted to talk AI, you were the guy to turn to yeah. for the conversation. Um, before, let's hope. <laughs> let's hope. You know, we, we can fool people into thinking so, <laughs> if, 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 uh, if nothing else. Uh, before we get too deep into the conversation, though, I think it's probably good for us to formally define AI and deep learning slash machine learning, because mm-hmm. those are two terms that are going to be coming up again and again, Yeah, and it's good to just get that out of the way. Yeah. You know, I hate to do a history lesson. <laughs> I, I love history lessons. <laughs> but you kind of have to start with an AI, and I think your average person has a lot of natural skepticism around artificial intelligence and it's completely warranted. And the reason for that is the term artificial intelligence was coined in 1956. That's over 16 years. Ago. And there's been a lot of boom and bust period. Uh, you know, in the 60s, people were saying it was around the corner and in the 80s. Uh, the biggest thing was expert systems where you're going to have this computer as your co-CEO kind of telling companies how to run. So if you've been a longtime market observer, it's good to have some natural skepticism about this. But we have had several incredible recent breakthroughs. And what the breakthroughs really are rooted in is that 50 or 60 years of progress because a lot of that research was actually right. And it was finding the right ways to approach this problem. Now, the limiting factor was in the 70s, 80s, uh, computers were slow. <laughs> yeah, they just weren't capable of doing everything yeah. that they can now, right? Yeah, and artificial intelligence requires tremendous amounts of number one data. And, you know, when we used to have entire rooms to store megabytes of data, that's not cost effective. And second, it required processing power. So I think the root of the current AI boom really goes back to the birth of the internet because it poured so much capital into the broader technology industry. And I think a lot of the forward-looking companies that many investors see as something not related to AI truly were thinking about at that time. Uh, there's a famous example of Larry Page at a cocktail party, you know, mingling. Google CEO. Yeah. Or Alphabet well, CEO. Co-founder. And um, co-mingling. And uh, at the time, he ran to Kevin Kelly, who worked for Wired. And Kevin Kelly expressed some skepticism, saying, hey, I just don't get it. You know, you guys are a great search engine, but you're still a search engine that's free, and I don't quite get this. And his response was, oh, no, we're really an AI company. So, And that was back in the aughts, early aughts. Oh, yeah, more than 15 years ago. So he saw this wave that was coming, and he saw that Google's product is essentially an AI product. And, and we had a lot of work around machine learning at that time. And, you know, the definition of machine learning is essentially code that writes itself. You input a lot of data. Um, and you have software that 
basically finds very advanced patterns and doesn't need to be explicitly coded. So what are the applications of machine learning? Well, you, you've seen a lot of in Web 2.0. You know, it's it's Google. It's how Facebook uh, filters your feed. It's how Twitter looks for trolls. You know, it, it's doing a lot of that work that really is behind the scenes in every application. It's, uh, you know, a company like Amazon optimizing their entire uh, supply chain uses machine learning for that process is the underlying factor that makes everything hum. But you might say, hey, Eric, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, kind of interesting. Maybe. I, think it's, I think it's very interesting. <laughs> I wouldn't be having you on the show if I didn't think sure, that it was very sure. interesting. But everyone's been talking about AI changing everything. I don't know if that sounds like it's changing everything. And that's an astute point, listener out there. <laughs> so I'll say the real breakthrough started in about 2011, and that is deep learning, uh, which is a uh, subdiscipline of machine learning. And essentially what deep learning does is it kind of replicates the human the way the human brain uh, learns, which is building connections between synapses. Um, essentially though, our brains are hugely powerful. We've got 0.15 quintillion. Uh, I'm not, I believe I'm not even gonna synapses. venture a guess at how many zeros <laughs> are in that number. And um, you know, a computer, you know, you're talking billions of transistors. So there is still a huge jump between those two areas. So what had happened was Google had hired someone who is, I, I believe, an intern of all things. And he was one of the literal dozens of people in the world who was still studying this idea that had come out in the 1970s about recreating the human brain. He said, you know, I'm working at Google a place where there is unprecedented data that didn't previously exist and unprecedented power, thanks to all the power to process all their cloud architecture, or all their products. What if I start applying this to identifying, what else, cats on the <laughs> internet? Um, and what we found was all of a sudden a quantum leap in computers being able to identify cats. And, you know, just taking this back to the start real quickly is what is artificial intelligence? Well, it's teaching computers to think like humans. It's bridging that gap. Why was a calculator smarter than us at math all the way back in the 60s? And and yet looking at a cat and saying, oh, that's a cat, the most simple human thing that you do fractional without any thought beguiles computers. And once you figure that problem out, what can you do with it, right? So deep learning figures that out. And all of a sudden this thing catches on like wildfire in Google. There's, there's a couple employees from this guy's division, they take over to their Google Translate division. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of the smartest people in the world work on this problem for a decade, and they essentially say, you know, we can do better than you. And that group says, no way, don't even try, but you know, it's Google, we have to let you try, but you can't do it. Oh, and by the way, don't do French. You'll never be us in French. So you know what those two guys do? They go French. We're going to beat you in French. And I believe it only takes them a matter of months to stop to topple the combined work of hundreds, as I noted, of the smartest engineers in the world working on one of the most complex problems. At, at this point, it was like an all-hands-on-deck at Google. And in 2012, early 2012, I believe deep learning was in uh, literally a handful of projects. I'm talking count on one hand. And within three years, it was in over 1,200 projects at the company. And it literally invaded every single product from search. I mean, self-driving cars had actually plateaued. For for all the hype in self-driving cars, uh, they stopped updating their self-driving car progress around this time. And then they put deep learning in it, and it was like an explosion. So it is like one of those enormous moments of serendipity in technology. 
if this intern had started at Google, the right place with the right amount of data, the right processing power to start this discipline that a few dozen people in the world were looking at, we might be years behind technology. And I think very few people understand this kind of kismet moment and the explosion it started. And that's where we're truly at in AI because uh, now this has gone everywhere. You know, most companies are a couple of years behind Google, I'll say. Um, and I remember meeting with NVIDIA in December of 2014, and they had relatively recently started working on the product and uh, deep learning in their products. And they had said, hey, you know, we're using deep learning to identify 39% of objects in our self-driving car model. I said, oh, that's, that's nice, but you better be a lot better than it's that. It's got to be better than that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then I met with them in July of 2015, and they said, Eric, we're over 90 and the progress is increasing. And that was my holy cow moment. And uh, I went back and I talked with a lot of people about NVIDIA at that point. It's up over a thousand percent for being a company on the cusp of it. So in any case, there's my explanation of why artificial intelligence, why this deep learning is this big bang moment that kind of progresses it to a whole new level and why we're now sitting here at the moment going, okay, this is different than the 60s. This is different than the 80s. Um, that skepticism, I believe, needs to be gone. And now the question is, how big is this? What can it change? And and how do I start getting my crystal ball out to see how this kind of changes everything in five years? So to distill that down <laughs> <laughs> to a couple bullet points, I think what we have is there's been this long, um, maybe like ideology or this philosophy of what AI could be yeah. or, what, or what it might become. That meets the computing power that we currently have. Mm -hmm. It also meets all of these amazing data collection and big data practices yep. that come into vogue once the internet really takes off and you have things like search engines and social media companies. Um, and you have the, by nature, very rapid kind of exponential ascent of progress mm -hmm. that machine learning creates, right? Because yeah. you have machines learning and then being able to take the best performing machines yeah. and then replicate that out. I remember you um, you had this presentation at Fool Fest, uh -huh. which is you know one of our annual get-togethers, and you showed, I think it was a clip from NVIDIA testing, what was it, like uh, computers playing hockey? Yeah, robots. And the explanation that he'd provided, I forget you know who was, was narrating when you were talking about Jensen it. Jensen Wang, their CEO. Yeah. Their CEO. But he was saying that they basically would test out all these different robots yeah. you know, attempting to score a goal in hockey, in this very simple game of hockey. And they would take whichever one had the best approach, best calculated approach, give it to all the other ones for the next iteration, mm -hmm. and so on, and so on, and so on. And you have, when you have that testing environment, that, that just means that it is not going to be a straight linear line of progress. It's going to shoot up real quick. Yeah, and I don't know how quickly I want to bring this into sci-fi land here, but what was amazing about that was uh, UC Berkeley had actually been teaching robots using these techniques in the real world, but it, it's so hard to learn at that level, at that rate. You know, you need to go reset the puck. You need to have someone hang it to them. It can, it can only learn from so many examples. So what NVIDIA had done was built a real-life simulator and they call this uh, reinforcement learning, and it totally revolutionizes the way that uh, robots can be something completely new. But now, I want to know, where does this get crazy? Uh, Google, you, you know, we're always updated on how they've done 3 million miles and how data is so important to deep learning. What they discovered was they could actually start simulating all their driving. <laughs> so they have 3 million miles. They actually went and built a city out in the desert that's like a real city and what they do is they simulate a 
thousand times more miles in their simulations to look for weak points where their self-driving car doesn't know how to handle a real-world situation. And only when they identify problems in their simulation do they bring the cars out to their city and train it over and over again to figure out how to do that. <laughs> so, so they're taking so, issues that they are recognizing in digital simulations, simulations. and then forcing yeah. the computer system to actually deal with it in the physical environment oh, of yeah. being out in the streets. So this changes everything. <laughs> it's truly wild. So this is a massively transformative moment, it seems, in tech. And we're going to talk about maybe some of the stocks to mm-hmm. watch in Definitely. this space. Um, we're going to do that on the back half of the show. Before we get over there, though, and see what Eric has to say about some of these major players, I want to give a thanks to Audible for supporting our podcast. For our audience, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Just go to audible.com slash fool or text fool to 500-500. You can browse their unmatched selection of audio content, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Audible's selection of audiobooks is unmatched anywhere. If you want it, Audible has it, like I said. While I was home for the holidays, I spotted Astrophysics for People in a Hurry by Neil deGrasse Tyson on my dad's coffee table. I read the first couple pages and wound up really liking it. But because I'm in such a hurry, perhaps more so than most of Neil's readers, it's often easier for me to listen to the audiobook on my metro commute to Alexandria. I, for one, am a big fan of Audible speed control, which allows you to slow things down when the conversation gets a little too technical, as it often does for me when Neil's talking. Or, if you choose, you can speed it up if you're feeling a little bogged down. It's narration at the speed that suits you. If you want to get a free audiobook, you can get their 30-day free trial over at audible.com fool, or you can text fool to 500-500. Okay, Eric, back to AI. Mm-hmm. There are so many different applications of this. It is such a wildly transformative technology. Um, you know, you have language processing, you have self-driving cars, you have drones, you have automation and manufacturing, and that seems to just be kind of the tip of the iceberg. We've mentioned Google a ton. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are kind of familiar with some of their AI um, ambitions, and really, one of the watershed moments for them was their DeepMind project with AlphaGo. Uh, basically them creating this AI program that mastered this ancient board game and had it wind up beating the best in the world mm-hmm. at this game. That was kind of a, wow, big stamp of validation yeah. for what they've been working on. There are a lot of other companies in this space, though, and, and that are trying to develop this type of technology. Who else are you kind of watching here? Yeah, and I think one of the kind of important things to remember is uh, – I believe artificial intelligence becomes kind of a foundational technology um, across which all companies are based. It's similar to the internet and similar to mobile. So you could go back and you could look at the internet. Microsoft wasn't really an internet company. They built an operating system. Oracle was an internet company. They built databases. But what the internet did enabled them to grow at exponential rates. So I think we're looking at a very similar thing with artificial intelligence right now. and you need to cast a somewhat wide net. Uh, you know, a similar idea to this would be when you looked at the beginning of the mobile age, you know, if you just said Google and Apple, you're limiting yourself, you know? And, and they were the most obvious because they built the phones. But, you know, if you understood what mobile meant to the future of media, you could have uh, had a better chance at finding Netflix and returns significantly tenfold larger. Uh, you could have seen what it would do to e-commerce. And hey, let's not just think about Amazon. Let's think about Mercado Libre. So, oh, do you have some? Yeah, so the primary impact there is, right, like people are going to be buying phones. Mm -hmm. That that is the mobile revolution. But the tack on to it is accessibility. Yeah. And and ability for platforms to reach more people, uh, maybe people having the ability to buy things at their fingertips. Yeah, I'm always looking for those secondary uh, kind of plays. So let's talk about just a 
a couple AI companies to start. Maybe you'll ask for a few more. But uh, one one company I really love highlighting is iRobot. Um, it's been a company that's seen its shares decline relatively dramatically. Uh, you know, around twenty to thirty percent. You know, after a huge run up, mind <laughs> you. But um, on some short seller complaints, I believe the uh, competing brand that people are worried about pinching margins is named Shark Ninja. Um, but what you never see in these reports is kind of the open-ended optionality of what deep learning could mean to a company like that, because household robotics with the advances could get just exponentially better in an extremely short time, and they would be the established brand consumer. So you're looking at a space that could get 10 to 20 times you know, better in a short uh, period, and, and they're going to be the one that people understand. The, the example I like bringing up on this is when Uber first started, a lot of people said, why would you ever buy Uber? It's a $10 billion taxi cab mark in the U.S. Well, I think Uber does $20 billion in bookings right now. When you create a foundationally new technology that does something completely different, the market rises to a new level, which most investors did not anticipate. I see the same thing happening in robotics and their capabilities. So let's take that to a second level. iRobot would be my consumer play. On a more industrial side, I'll talk about uh, Fanuc, uh, which is... Uh, Japanese company. How do you spell that? F-A-N-U-C. Okay. And I never know with my pronunciation <laughs> on these things. But um, they are a tremendously run company. You know, I think their PE at any given time is in about the mid-30s, but you know, their operating margins are incredible for the industry. They function in, they have uh, long tenured and relatively visionary leadership. I mean, this this company's been a stalwart. But they go on potentially a fundamentally new plane, and that's because they built this field software technology system as an Internet of Things play. They want to kind of connect all their software together. So, you know, you could update it, blah, 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 fix, you know, potential flaws really quickly. But what it does now is it allows basically all of the robots to learn together. So your robots become a hive mind, and you use some of these new deep learning techniques to really improve robots, their ability uh, to use machine vision, to pick things out, to have uh, better agility, all those things that a human presently does on a line that a robot can't do. And what it does, like I said, is their technology allows all the input from the robots to go back to a hive mind to learn to make better and push it out. So they're always kind of getting exponentially better in a way that wasn't possible in recreating. I think this company is having the platform for that, you know, stands a potentially tremendous opportunity. It's, it's one most investors don't know. And it, yeah, well, I didn't know it, so, so, I'm, <laughs> so I'm glad you mentioned it. Um, and so they are primarily working in industrial manufacturing Correct. and basically any any business that would have a fleet of robots working towards some kind of task. Maybe it's in fulfillment, too, with like shipping centers or something like that? Yeah, right now, their two main end marks, markets are electronics and um, automobile manufacturing is their largest. But um, over time, uh, you know, their robotics will go down to cheaper levels. Um, right now, it costs six figures. And they use this really antiquated kind of uh, software programming to do very precise movements. And what happens in the future, it's kind of like with cars, if you want precisely program it, a self-driving application is extremely limited, but if you can teach it to learn, it's exponentially better, and the same thing will happen with robots, and that's kind of the software they own. So we talked about kind of two, not quite pure plays, but maybe companies that uh, could benefit a little bit more from an AI future uh, in a way that would transform them. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think something that's worth noting with some of these big tech companies that are heavily investing in AI, I'm thinking specifically about Google and maybe Amazon here, is 
it's really tough to pinpoint what AI will be for their business. Yeah. It's not a, it's not an operating segment for them. Mm-hmm. It's something that is kind of an operational efficiency that should kind of bleed into almost everything they do. Yeah. And so as you're looking at some of the investments that big tech is making in this space, realize that it's not going to be broken out like a nice little line item that mm-hmm. has a profit and loss. It's going to be something they say in the conference call where they're like you know what, we reduced our energy usage and our servers by 40%, and that saved us $2 billion. Yeah, and I, I believe it allows them to attack fundamentally different futures. Uh, for example, like Google with self-driving cars and uh, how they might try and crack that problem in a number of ways, which could be extremely substantial. I think mobility as a service could be a trillion-dollar industry. And with Amazon, I believe it allows them to fundamentally rethink their entire supply chain. If if you have uh, the only thing that allows self-driving cars, drones, et cetera, is these advances in artificial intelligence. So if Google knows, or sorry, if Amazon, led by the smartest man in the world, for all we know, with <laughs> Jeff Bezos, if, if he understands exactly where this technology is going to lead in five years, he's already thinking ahead that maybe fulfillment centers, as they're currently constructed, you move those up closer to consumers, you have all these automated tasks, and that allows you to actually begin delivering in a lesser time for cheaper than someone getting in their car and driving to the store. And maybe that's your final kind of death knell of retail. So I believe in both these cases, uh, artificial intelligence allows completely new businesses that these companies are uniquely equipped to foresee. So speaking of the death of retail, (laughs) (laughs) um, I think... To go back to something that uh, you use as kind of a metaphor for all this with the smartphone market. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember looking at a presentation that you put together, and you said, you know, you know, what's the Nokia of AI? Yeah. You know, who are the players that seem to be stalwarts um, and got passed by by this huge shift in the space that they play in? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put it to you. You know, <laughs> what what companies or what spaces are you looking at as being particularly prone yeah. to just getting disrupted? Yeah, I, th- I think it's generally a rising tide in technology. It's it's probably a little harder picking out losers than that. You know, especially companies that have now been through two or three iterations of these kind of huge master trends, as I call them. Internet, mobile, uh, AI is the next one. Uh, you know, they they may struggle to adjust to it. You look at a company like Oracle that's already been having to deal with cloud and, and now is dealing with fundamental shifts potentially to their products from the AI age. It, it presents a potential challenge. But I do think, you know, when you're looking at the companies that are, have the most to lose from this, well, it's easy. It's it's this shifting to entirely new areas in factories. It's, it's going into car industries. Uh, it's going into many areas that previously weren't defined by software um, as kind of their value add. Uh, logistics is another one that's, uh, you know, very interesting. And, you know, these companies, they just have to deal with a fundamentally different problem. They have to hire new employees who they might be equipped to handle. And uh, it's just coming on in many ways so fast that it it, if you get behind by a few years, playing catch-up is dramatically difficult. And you're often competing against companies like Amazon that don't have to deal with cost of capital. You know, that's, you know, that's the hint thing to like Amazon Walmart, of course. You know, if, if their earnings decline by $2 billion, their shareholders scream bloody murder. And for Amazon, it's, it's rewarded. That's, that's a very hard company to compete against. And if, like I said, if I'm in logistics or some of these other industries that have an uh, entirely different uh, time frame for my shareholders and, and these companies are coming in, I, I'm extremely scared. Yeah, I do want to plug before we wrap up. Um, 
if you're interested in how we got here with AI, so uh, one of Fool.com's editors, Alan Moskowitz, recently put together this epic four-part series on the history of AI, Google DeepMind's work with AlphaGo, something I mentioned earlier, and then his own lessons from taking a machine learning class at Georgetown and trying to build his own stock-picking AI. Um, it's a fascinating series. It's like 20,000 words. Uh, if you guys want it, please write into the show. I'll be sure to send it out to you. Um, Eric, thank you so much for hopping on. Yeah, and just to do a plug, that last article where Alon built his own neural net, <laughs> incredible. I think people need to give that a read. Uh, Alon is not someone that you want to bet against. Yeah, <laughs> that, 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 That's all I'm going to say. When, when it comes to getting something done, uh, whether it's April Fool's jokes or this series, he is up at five in the morning, you know, pulling all-nighters, making it happen. And uh, it's really incredible to see his work kind of come to fruition because he did an excellent job with it. Yeah, I think the title is Planned Obsolescence, if people want to yeah. Google it. <laughs> and, and if you want all four of them, just write into the show, industryfocus.fool.com, and we'll be sure to send it along. One other thing I want to touch before we wrap up. Uh, in our last show, Austin mentioned that he had some fun holiday plans. And we got a note from a listener, Austin. And he wanted to follow up on Austin Morgan's bottomless family mimosa brunch and party. And he wanted to know exactly how that turned out for Austin's family. It was great. Everything was great. Uh, my mom was a huge fan of the brunch because she didn't have to cook or clean up. So I was also a huge fan because those waiters were on top of their game with the mimosas. Oh, so like, they, kept, they just kept coming back. If you finished it, it was full again. And it was <laughs> wonderful. So might this be a new Morgan family tradition? I, my mom was all about it, and the food was awesome. We were at Sequoia, I think, in Georgetown, and the buffet was like not a typical breakfast buffet. There was like sushi and seafood, and they had a dude cutting like prime rib and another guy making tacos. And was crazy! It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like a, an excellent last four minutes of plugs here. We've got Alan series on full.com and we have Sequoia in in Georgetown. <laughs> Listeners, we're just Highly trying to give you a ton of value here as we wrap up. They the even show. had a Santa Claus walking around wow. taking pictures of people. Look at that. Usually Can you have to you go to like it? a Macy's right? or like some retailer for that. Yeah. I'm signing up for next year right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, this is going off the rails, so I'm going to cut it now. <laughs> Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. Of course, if you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Shout out to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Eric Bleeker, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on.